Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Well, it's lovely to have uh, so many people back out again. Uh, it's good to be back uh, worshipping the Lord together, uh, something I miss thoroughly when we can't do that. And uh, this morning, we're actually concluding our Alpha series. So we've been going through Alpha now for, this is the 15th week, and it is the last one. And uh, I've been really enjoying preaching through Alpha. It's been something that has been, uh, I think, really good for all of us. Uh, to go over the basics of the Christian faith and explore the meaning of Jesus and what that, that ha- the whole thing means for us personally. And uh, so, uh, yes, today is all about, and this last session is all about the church. What about the church? You know, a lot of people, when they think about church, think it is boring. Any sleep this morning so far? I mean, I came across something that Abraham Lincoln once said. He said this, If all the people who fell asleep in church on a Sunday morning were laid out end to end, that'd be a great more deal comfortable. <laughs> Apart from being boring, though, what, what many other people, when they think of church, they think of these grand old buildings, like the cathedral in town. But do you know that for the first 300 years of the church's life, there were no church buildings? So so that's not what church is about. It's not about buildings. That's not the essence of church. It's a a bit like marriage. You say, well, what's marriage about? Well, it's it's a ring. It's a a certificate. Yes, but but those are are the trappings. That's not the essence of what marriage is about. At the heart of it is something much more profound. And at the heart of the church is something really amazing and beautiful and just glorious. What I want to look today is just some of the images about the church. In the New Testament, there are over 100 images given to us and metaphors about the church. And we couldn't even begin to look at all of them today. But I want us to sort of dip our toe in the water, so to speak. And this is not a theology of the church by no means. 
uh, it isn't really an introduction to the theology of church. You know, it, it, it's, it's like the introduction to an introduction, right? It's just scraping the surface, just a little taste. I want to choose five words which are the reason why I love church or some of the reasons why I, I love the church. And here is the first one. Friends, Jesus said this, I call you my friends, John 15, 15. And that's what he says to you, I call you my friends. Isn't that amazing? To be a friend of Jesus. And we're called not just to friendship with Jesus, but friendship with one another. And that's what's so amazing. That's what I love so much about church. At every church we've been a part of, Kelly and I have made really good friends, really close friends. And what I've found is that small groups are absolutely vital to making those deep, strong friendships and those really deep connections with other people. I heard of one person who was part of an alpha small group and they were slightly disappointed because their alpha group only had two people in it. And when asked how they managed that, they said, oh, well, one of us asked the questions and the other answered them. They were then asked, how do they get on? And they said, oh, we got on really well. We both became Christians and we're getting married in August. (laughs) So it doesn't matter what size the group is, but there's something that happens there's something amazing about this friendship. And the word that's used in the New Testament, it's, it's really hard to translate. It's koinonia. It means fellowship. And it was used in the marriage relationship. And, and it's a depth of relationship that cuts across all age, ethnicity, background, culture, personality types. This level of connection that is so amazing. It's, it's different from being a Facebook friend. There's something I've experienced in the church of a level of friendship that I've never experienced outside of the church. And we need one another. We need our friends. Someone said this, there are two things you can't do alone. You can't get married alone and you can't be a Christian alone. How true. Christians are supposed to be part of a church the writer of Hebrews says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25. In other words, he says, some people just give up. Like, you know, Alpha is just a course. Church is just a few weeks. You know, do it for, you know, and then that's it. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Don't give up meeting together but encourage one another because your faith will never survive on your own. It will dwindle. I heard about one young man and he'd had faith at one time, but he felt that he was losing it. So he went to see this older man, a a, a Christian man, a wise older man. And he was in a cottage in the country and, and there was a fire roaring, you know, keeping him nice and warm in the winter. And as they were sitting there, he'd asked his advice. He didn't say anything, this old man. He just went to the fire with a pair of tongs and he took out a bright burning red coal and he sat it on the hearth. 
You know, that's what we're supposed to be as Christians, that bright red-hot coal. But he took the coal out sat on the hearth and very soon the glow had gone. It had gone like dead. And then without saying anything, he just went with the tongs, he picked up the coal and he put it back in the fire. And in a few minutes, it was glowing again red hot. The young man understood perfectly well why he had lost his enthusiasm. Because we need one another. We need to encourage one another. Now that's what we do. I don't know whether you've found that, but I've found that it's just coming together with friends, you know, in this setting, in small groups at church. It's so encouraging. And through COVID, I think it's only even further proved that. If you had any questions before, I think they've been answered now, right? We can do things online, but it does not encourage us like being together in person. That's the first point is friends. The second word, in a way, even more amazing, is not only just friends, but family. We are the family of God. The church is not an organisation that you join. It's a family where you belong. John writes this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. In other words, you are a child of God. God is your father. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. 1 John 5.1. You can't say you love God, but you don't like his children. You don't like the church. God is your father. And that makes us all brothers and sisters. Have a look around. These are your brothers and sisters. No, no, no. No, seriously. Actually, have a look around. We're very good at watching. This is a participation moment right here. Have a look around at your brothers and sisters. We are a beautiful looking group today, aren't we? We're so amazing. If you're not a Christian yet, then these are your potential brothers and sisters. And I don't know whether that puts you off becoming Christian or not, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But this is important, so important, that we wrote it right above the door. Welcome to our family. That's how important family is. And God's intention was to bring the whole human race together as a family united around Christ. And becoming a member is not by birth, but it's by rebirth. Jesus talked about being born of water and the Spirit. Jesus was baptised and he commanded his disciples to baptise. Becoming a Christian involves three things. First of all, something God does. God gives you the Holy Spirit. Secondly, something you do. You repent and believe. And thirdly, something the church does. And that is to baptise. Baptism is the mark it's sort of, you know, like that, that outward expression of the faith that you already have. You know, it's sort of like the, the line in the sand moment where you say, look, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And it symbolises washing, being cleansed. The water is cleansing, like, like we're cleansed through the blood of Jesus on the cross. 
It also symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of water. By this, he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It also symbolizes dying and rising with Christ. And Paul uses this image. He says, when you're baptized, if this this piece of paper represents you and, and this Bible represents Jesus, he says, you're baptized into Christ. So everything that happens to this book, it also happens to the piece of paper. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, 3, 4. All of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus in this mystical way, we're baptized into his death. When Jesus died on the cross, you died. We were buried with him. When Jesus was buried, you were buried. Old life, gone. And through baptism into his death, in order that we, uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead, when, when Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised to new life. Romans 6, 3 to 4. We too may live a new life. So one of the ways to think of our baptism is this. As you go down under those waters, it's confirmation that your old life is completely gone. And as you come up out of the water, you think, my new life definitely has begun. My new life in Christ. I love church because it's friends. I love church because it's my family and I, I, I love it because of this other words that's, news, that's used in the New Testament and that's home. In the Old Testament, the physical temple was God's home. As a Jew living in Jerusalem in the, those times, if someone asked you, hey, where's God? You could say, go down this street, take a left, three rows over, up that hill, see that big temple? That's where God lives because he physically resided in the temple. That's what we're told. And that's why, you know, people often could connect with that so well because God had a physical presence amongst them. In the New Testament, it's not a physical building. It's a building made up of people. So Paul talks about a holy temple. He says, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, Ephesians 2.21. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. In other words, when the church comes together like this, the whole trinity is there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so amazing. Sometimes people walk into a church and they say, wow, there's an amazing atmosphere here. You know, what are they sensing? The Holy Spirit, Jesus, the presence of God, and that is amazing. The church is God's home. The head of a church in Austria once said, I feel this deep in my heart. This is what I feel the Lord is saying. This is what I sense that God is doing here. It's like God is saying, come home. I wait for you. And that's not constrained by four walls. That's wherever God's people meet, that is home. There's something amazing about coming home to be refreshed, revived, reinvigorated, re-energized. And that's what the early church did. They came together for those things. It was like coming home. And when they came together, they did what they devoted themselves to 
they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The equivalent for us would be hearing the Bible expounded. They had fellowship to this friendship that that's so encouraging to the breaking of bread, to communion, to prayer, praying for one another, of course, was included in that. And church is designed to be a place where people come and are not judged, but they're loved, accepted and welcome. And that's what this church is, a place where you are loved, where you are welcome, where you are accepted and where you can belong. The fourth reason I love the church is Jesus. <laughs> it's him. Now you are the body of Christ, Paul writes, and each one of you is part of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Jesus, we're part of that. And he says like, Jesus is the head, you're the body, and together you make up Jesus to the world. This is how the world will see Jesus through you. Jesus never wrote a book. He formed a community. He started with a small group and that small group grew rapidly. For 2,000 years, it's been growing. And the universal church consists of all those worldwide and down the ages who profess the name of Christ. And it's vast. There are now... 2,300 million Christians or 2.5 billion Christians in the world. You know, I used to think the church was declining and really globally nothing could be further from the truth. I read some statistics recently that since 1970, the Christian church has grown by over a billion people, 1,000 million new Christians. Tens of thousands of people are becoming Christians every day. Today, tens of thousands of people around the world became Christians. Of course, we have in the West had decline. It is very clear in our culture, particularly, and particularly in Australian church attendances. In fact, the ABS are even advertising for people to mark no religion on their census forms if they don't go to church. An ad popped up on my feed last week stating that. And there's been a big push by, by Australian humanists for everyone to mark no religion. If you don't actually go to church to mark no religion because they want the statistics to change where the society values are. But inter interestingly though, there, are, there is a decline in the church in the West, but the evangelical church is actually growing in the West. And it's easy to think, oh man, the church is in decline. But that's not what is actually representative of what's happening globally. I mean, if you look at what happened, what's happening in Latin America, World Youth Day was held in Rio a few years ago. Three million young people came out to worship Jesus. In the United States, 92% profess to believe in God. 250 million Christians. Africa, in 1900, there were 10 million people. By 2000, there were 360 million Christians. That's a growth rate of 3,600% in just over a century. In China, in 1940, there were 4 million Christians. Today, China experts reckon that there are well over 100 million Christians. And China may soon become 
the largest Christian country in the world. And it includes, of course, parts of the church where they're persecuted. Persecution did not die out with the Roman Empire. It couldn't be further from the truth. More people have died for their faith in Jesus Christ in the last 100 years than in all the other centuries prior put together. But by all accounts, even in those places, the church is strong and vibrant. And it's a huge privilege to be able to worship without being arrested, imprisoned, threatened, or even tortured or executed. We are blessed here in Australia. So we are the body of Christ. Paul says you are the body of Christ. So we don't want to be divided, do we? You know, tragically, the church has divided so much over the years. But the exciting thing is the Holy Spirit is doing new things. And he's bringing together Christians of all different churches. And people are recognizing that we need one another, that the church is multifaceted and it needs to be united. You know, each denomination has come into being through the years due to differences in theology. But we're all Christians. Pentecostals, Salvos, Wesleyans, Uniting, Baptists. You know, I regularly catch up with pastors of other churches here in Wang. And we have a great fellowship and I experience that unity. And we all agree that we want people in our community to find a church that is right for them. And there are so many to choose from in Wangaratta. There's like 15 of them. You know, if God's church, not our own little empires, that, that's what it is. It's God's church, not our own little empires. And we just want people to be part of a family that worships Jesus. And unity is important. We need one another. You know, we don't have the whole truth. I don't have the whole truth. No one has the whole truth. We're not God. It's only together that we get a little bit of better view of, of one who is, you know, better, might be better at understanding that element of God or this part of Jesus. We need one another. Unity and truth go hand in hand. And Jesus prayed that we may be one. We may be united in order that the world will believe, John 17, 20. Because a divided world demands a united church. We're supposed to set an example of unity. And unity is so powerful, it's so beautiful. Because what unites us as Christians is infinitely greater than what divides us. And unity doesn't mean uniformity. Of course, there are lots of different parts and variety is great. We can learn from one another and and differences in, in expression is fine. Other churches may do things very differently. It's not wrong unless they don't preach the gospel, I'd say, you know, that's a caveat in there. But we learn from different. Paul says, consider others better than yourselves. And I think that's a challenge in a way. When we see another church, let's consider them better. They're doing things differently. Well, they're better. Maybe we can learn from them and vice versa. So this united church where everyone has a part to play, everyone praying, everyone giving, everyone serving. You know, the church is the biggest volunteer organisation in the world, feeding the hungry visiting people in hospital, serving people in prison, caring for ex-offenders, fighting injustice, fighting human trafficking, doing all of these things. That's what the church globally is doing. Just one little tiny example of what the church does. I read this recently. 
that churches in the UK provide half of the toddler and parent groups. They have the biggest network of debt counsellors and they will feed over 100,000 hungry people this year. That's just one thing they do. And that's just in the UK. The church is Jesus. It's his body to the world. And the fifth word I want to pick is the most, well, it's not the most important because they're all important, but it's a word which kind of sums, well, well, Jesus kind of sums up what this course is all about, but this word also sums up what the whole thing's all about, and it's the word love. Church is kind of a love affair. I love the church because Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves you. Paul writes this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then he goes on to talk about marriage. And, but, but he says, actually, I'm, I'm not really talking about marriage. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church, Ephesians 5, 25 and 32. He says, look, marriage is not the be all and end all. Jesus never married. In a way, marriage is like a picture of something even more amazing and beautiful and profound, the relationship between Christ and the church. (coughs) Marriage is a great analogy. Marriage is like an institution. But if you take marriage as an analogy, if you just have marriage but no love, it's kind of dead and dry. If you just have love but without marriage, it's a bit unstable. If you bring together the love that the two people have for each other and the commitment and institution of marriage, then it's so powerful. It's the same with the church. If you just have the institution of the church, it can be a bit dry. If you just have the love and fire of the Holy Spirit, the faith, it can can be a bit unstable. But bring together the love, the fire, the enthusiasm and the institution of the church and it's so strong and powerful. Another reason marriage, I think, is a great analogy is because marriage is long-term. You know, for, for many of you, this Alpha course is just the beginning. For others, you've been down this path a long time. You know, Alphas, are, I guess, maybe if you consider like a wedding, maybe the honeymoon, but it's not the whole relationship. And what matters is the long-term, the marriage. What are you going to be in your relationship with Jesus long-term? Jesus loves you. He gave himself up for you. If you'd been the only person in the world, Jesus would still have died for you. He loves you unconditionally, wholeheartedly, continually. And we express our love for God in our worship by what we do in our service, not in our church service, in service to God. And the church, and this is my dream for our little local church, that we would be famous for our love a love that is radical, inclusive, unconditional of people of different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities, lifestyles, perspectives. <coughs> you know, the church is not a museum that displays these perfect people. It's more like a hospital that welcomes the broken, the hurt, the wounded, and helps them to find healing. You know, this unconditional love breaks down barriers, it puts people back on their feet and it restores and it heals. 
And think of Eddie. This is what Eddie looked like when he came on an alpha course. He was really sick. He had DVT in one leg and, and right knee and a left ankle, I think, too. He had cirrhosis of the liver. His lungs were failing and he was close to death. He went on an alpha course and on the weekend someone prayed for him and he encountered Jesus and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was set free from all of his addictions. Just like that. This is what Eddie looks like now. That's Eddie, totally transformed by Jesus Christ. And he's part of a church. Amazing guy. He's like a full-time volunteer serving Jesus Christ in the church. Free from drugs, free from his addictions, loving and serving Jesus Christ. And that to me is what a picture of what church is about. It might not be as dramatic a before and after photo as it, you know, for me or for you as it, as, it, as it was for Eddie. But being a Christian means belonging to the church. You don't go to church, you are the church. You are friends of Jesus. Eddie had no friends. Now he has so many friends. You are God's family. Eddie had no family. He now has an amazing family who love him, his brothers and sisters in Christ. Church is home. Eddie had no home, literally. He had no home. He had nowhere to live. Now he has a home. He has a home. He has an actual physical flat he lives in. And he also has a home in the church. Church is Jesus. Eddie goes out to homeless areas and he tells other people about Jesus. That's what he does. His heart is filled with love for Jesus Christ and he represents Jesus wherever he goes. And church is love. We're the bride of Christ. Eddie has experienced this amazing love of Jesus. And that's what it's all about. You are loved. You are loved by God. And if you take nothing else away from these 15 weeks of Alpha, know that you are loved by God. Jesus died for you. You are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have the most powerful message in the world. You can see people like Eddie having their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. But you can't do it on your own. Mother Teresa said this, You can do what I cannot do. I can do what you cannot do. Together we can do great things. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for family. We thank you for friends. We thank you for our home. We thank you for the church that you've given us all of these things. We thank you that, Jesus, you have given us your love and that you have together raised us as brothers and sisters, as your body to be you in this world. And Lord Jesus, I pray that that, that would be something that really encourages, uh, encourages us and, and brings vitality to our 
thinking and to our belief and to our action. And that, Lord, we would continue to serve you with the love that you had for this world. That, Lord, you would bring eddies into our lives and we could see people transformed like him. Doesn't need to be anyone, you know, in any circumstance like eddies, but there are people in all circumstances that need your love. And so, Lord, may we see the transforming power of your love going in us and through us and out to other people. We pray this in your name. Amen.